want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew 13. We're going to be in a moment in verse 44, uh, but while you're, while you're finding Matthew 13, I want to, I want to go ahead and uh, let you know something that is, um, I think, time for me to share with you. I've had a number of people ask me about something. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of people wearing these uh, little wooden crosses around, and maybe you're new and you're going, why? Why are so many people wearing these? Like, they're selling these things? Well, we're not, we're not selling them. We're, we're giving them away. And it's a sign that we're going on the journey of Lent, that we are preparing our hearts and minds in a season of consecration so that we can celebrate Easter the way we're supposed to celebrate Easter. And I've had a number of people say, Jason, why do we, why do, we do that as a church? Uh, I've never, I never grew up with Lent. In fact, the first time I heard about it is when I came over here, and we've been doing this for a few years, but I thought that was like what Methodists did or like Catholics did and stuff, and I didn't, I didn't know we were a Methodist or Catholic church. Like, why, why are we doing that? Well, it, it, we're, we're not a Methodist or a Catholic church. Uh, you may not know we're a Baptist church. Surprise! We, uh, we, we're, a, we're a church, though, that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Lent has not historically been something that evangelicals have practiced a lot, and so people have asked why? Why are, why are we putting prominence to this? I've been explaining it to a few people, and a number of them have said, you need to share this with the church because they need to know why we're doing this. And so I, I want to share that with you, and I think it'll be pertinent to the message today. So here's where it all started. About 13 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago, uh, it was uh, one of those times when Easter hit kind of early. You know how every once in a while it hits like at the end of March, even before April, and it, it totally snuck up on me. About a week and a half before Easter hit, I looked at the calendar, and I'm like, holy cow, Easter's a week and a half away. How did I not know this? I wasn't preaching regularly at the time, and so I just, it just snuck up on me. And, and I thought, how in the world does a Christian not know Easter's coming when Easter is the most important Sunday in the entire year, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And, and if you think about it, like, how is it that, that Christmas never sneaks up on you? There's never a time you're like, oh my goodness, it's Christmas. I didn't know. Because like in mid-September, already in the stores, they're shoving Christmas down your throats. There's music and snow. I'm like, it's 99 degrees outside. Why, why are we celebrating winter and Christmas? It's, it's so early. But our, our culture celebrates it mainly because they want to make a buck, right? So they're selling stuff and they know they can do it. Christmas music everywhere from months on end, decorations and all that kind of stuff. Christmas never sneaks up on you. But Easter does. And you want to know why? Because culture doesn't celebrate it. You got bunny rabbits and eggs and springtime and stuff like that, but not Easter, not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's actually very rare for culture to celebrate it. And I remember that day when I realized uh, it snuck up on me that I, I, should, I should never let that happen. I began to study the ancient practices of how they prepared for Easter, and I stumbled upon Lent. And I discovered it's not a Catholic thing or a Methodist thing or Presbyterian. It's not a denominational thing. It was an early church thing. As early as the 200s A.D., the church was practicing a 40-day period of preparation for Easter. They didn't call it Lent because Lent is just a Latin word for springtime, but it was the same thing. It was a 40-day preparation. In fact, it was first born from people who were preparing for baptism on Easter Sunday. And so they would have seasons of Scripture memorization, intense times of prayer, fasting, giving things up. All of this was a means of getting their hearts ready so they could celebrate Easter with gusto. And I saw that, I'm like, oh my goodness, that, that's incredible. I want to do that. So I personally began to celebrate the season of Lent. 
where I, I would fast one day a week. I, I would read my Bible a little bit longer. I would give up a few things. And I promise you, since I started that about 12 years ago, 11 years ago, it, it has, Easter has never snuck up on me since. I'm so ready. I'm bursting out of my skin by the time Easter comes because I've had all this preparation. Well, when I saw what it did for me, I invited my family, and we started talking about that and doing this and, and started talking about what we could do to consecrate the season, to get our hearts ready, to sacrifice, to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And I saw in my own family this joy for Easter. And then I, I, in my community group, I said, well, let, let's practice this thing together. And, and some of the staff, and we began to fast some more and give things up. And every time we did it, I saw a, a difference when we came to Easter. And then for reasons I'll never fully understand, this church votes on me to be the next pastor. And when that happened... I realized it's time to go for all of us. So I said, church body, would you go on a journey? And for the last six years, every year, we've been going on this journey of consecration. And this year, I've seen the most people participate that I've ever seen. I've seen more people, and I think just uh, having a little cross to wear to remind this is a season of consecration has been helping, which, by the way, if you didn't get one of those, you'll see there's a stand with crosses over there. You can go grab one and put one on. They're free of charge. Don't go grab 40 of them. Just grab one of them. But, and this is if you want to take the season seriously. But the whole point of Lent has one objective, to teach you to treasure Christ more. That's his goal. That you give up lesser things, you sacrifice, you do us to treasure Christ more. So by the time you get to Good Friday, when we gather together for a service and he goes in the tomb, you're weeping because of your brokenness. By the time he comes out of the grave on Resurrection Sunday, Easter, you are shouting and dancing because your heart has been ready. It's all designed to help you treasure Christ more. And the reason why is because Jesus Christ tells us to treasure him and his kingdom above everything else. That's what Mark, that's Matthew 13 is all about. So if you have your Bible to Matthew 13... I want to read just three verses. It's two parables that teach a very similar story. Many of you are familiar with it, but I want to unpack them for you today. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44, says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What this is teaching us, Jesus is teaching us something right here, a principle. He's teaching us how to be treasure hunters. Because whether you know it or not, every one of you is hardwired to be a treasure hunter. You, you, were, you were made by God to hunt and seek for treasure. And my goal today is not to teach you to stop hunting for treasure. My goal today is to teach you how to hunt more fiercely for the right treasure. And that right treasure is Christ. And this whole season of Lent is just to help you become a better treasure hunter because that's who you're designed to be. I remember in my childhood, uh, I, I loved going to the beach. So I'm, I'm a native Texan, been here my whole life. And so we go to Galveston. That's where we go to the beach. And, and I remember going to Galveston as a kid. And I was about six or seven years old. And it's, it's when I really fell in love with the beach. And I remember it very acutely because of something my dad said to me. We're sitting there on the beach, and uh, he goes, Mijito, I heard, I heard there's buried treasure in this beach. Here's a shovel. You might want to go dig for it. Now, what I didn't know is that my dad just wanted a nap, and he knew I was a hyperactive kid, and I would get into trouble. I keep up poking him. Dad, this build a sandcastle. Daddy, 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 daddy. And the only way he was going to get a nap was to get me digging for buried treasure. And he also knew my personality type. I have this, this really annoying tenacity about me that I don't give up. He knew I'd be busy for hours doing that. So sure enough, 
I get my shovel and I start digging right there in the Galveston Beach. And I dig all, <coughs> excuse me, all the way to where the sand is up to my, to my thighs where I'm in the hole. About two hours, hour and a half, two hours. I get up. I go tap my dad who was napping. I say, Papi, I haven't found the treasure. He says, dig deeper, mijito, dig deeper. It's there. So I go back for another hour and a half and I'm digging. And now I'm about up to here where I'm standing in there and still no treasure. I go back out. Papi, I still can't find the treasure. Mijito, dig deeper. You're going to find it. Dig deeper. So I go back and literally, I, I, I haven't been able to do it since. I've grown. I'm in the hole and the sand level is above my head because I've dug that deep in there. You have to slide in and crawl out because I'm looking for it. Finally, after four or five hours of digging, I go to my dad and he goes, well, maybe it's not on this beach after all. But he'd gotten his treasure. He got about four hours of sleep in the middle of the day. He's my hero, my dad, <laughs> now that I've seen what he did. But I, it didn't matter that I didn't find treasure because I loved the hunt. I loved digging. And I saw, I was looking out all over the beach and all these kids were hunting for treasure. They, they weren't looking for pirate's treasure. They were looking for sand dollars. They were looking for shells. They were, they were dig around when people left because they were trying to find if anybody left anything. Every kid out there was hunting for treasure. Why? Because kids are treasure hunters and they know it. Let me go ahead and tell you, we never grow out of it. I'm 45 years old. And every year I can, I still go to the beach hunting for treasure. It's just my treasure looks a little different now. Now I'm the dad telling my six kids, go dig. Here's a shovel. My treasure is to get a book under my little canopy and to read until I fall asleep. I love that. That's my treasure. And I go hunting for it at the beach every year that I can. If I'm being honest, one of my biggest treasures is time with my family. I mean, it's so fleeting. I have my, my eldest daughter off in college. In just a little over a year, two more of my kids are going to be heading off to college. And my time with them is just flying by. People told me it would happen. I didn't believe it. And here I am. And I just, I treasure every moment. And I go to the beach every year that I can with my whole family. Even though it costs out the wazoo to buy an Airbnb for a family the size of eight, I do it because I want to have these memories and I want to have these experiences and I want to treasure this time with them. I'm hunting for treasure every year I go to the beach. Why? Because I'm a treasure hunter. And so are you. Every one of you, every day you wake up, you are hunting for treasure. There are some of you, you're hunting for a treasure chest. It's just not buried in the sand, put there by a pirate. Some of you are hunting for more money, more achievement, and you do it every, every day you go to work. You work 50, 60, 70 hours a week because you're trying to make a little bit more. You're trying to get that promotion. You want to have a little bit more treasure. You're hunting for treasure. That's what you're doing. Some of you, though, it's not money. Some of it's just, it's about status. It's about success and achievement. You want to be respected, and so you work your tail off so that people will look up to you and respect you. It's just another form of treasure. Some of you, it's, it's not things. It's relationship. You your treasure is affection. You want somebody to long for you and to love you and, and give you their attention. And you're working yourself to death to try to get that affection and attention. That's your treasure. Some of you, it's pleasure. And you're seeking it in a food or in a chemical or in a drink. You just, you want that, that little relief, that little sense of pleasure. Some of you, you want, you want to do something that satisfies you, that makes you feel significant. Whatever it is, it's, it's all just a different form of treasure. But if we could boil it all down, there's one treasure we're all pursuing. It's the same one. It's happiness. We just, we just want to be happy. We, we just want to feel like life is good. We're all hunting that treasure. And here's what I want to tell you. You should not feel guilty 
that you hunt for that treasure. My goal is not to get you to stop hunting for treasure. My goal is to get you to hunt more fiercely, but for the right treasure. Because there are all kinds of things that make you feel like you're going to be happy, like they're going to satisfy you, and in the end, they just trick you. There's only one treasure that can actually satisfy you, one treasure that can make you genuinely happy, sustained happiness, and that treasure is Christ Jesus. And we're supposed to hunt for him with everything we have. Lent is just designed to help us be treasure hunters because Jesus told us, hunt for me and my kingdom as if it's buried treasure. That's exactly what these stories are about. I, I want, what I want to do is I want to take these two parables and I want, I want to compare them and contrast them because I want you to see what they do for us is they give us a, a treasure map so we can, where we can know where to find the buried treasure, which is Christ. So we can learn to dig a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. Mijito, keep on digging because you're going to find Christ. And these two, these two little parables tell us how. I want to go back to verse 44. I want to reread it for you. Here's what it says. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, if you're reading this and stopping to give it your, your mind and your attention, there's, there's probably something about this story that, that confuses you. And one of the biggest ones is it seems like this guy's dishonest. Right? He, he's, he's walking, he stumbles upon treasure. First of all, you're going, what in the world is treasure doing in the ground? It's there. He, he unearths it. He sees it. He says, holy cow, I found treasure. And this is where it starts to get real dishonest. He reburies it. He goes, he, fies, he buys the field under the nose of the guy who owns it, and he claims it for himself. And you're going, what a sleazeball. What in the world? Why is Jesus like saying that we should seek the kingdom like this guy? There's a few details. If you just stop and think about it, it will make a lot more sense. Let me go ahead and tell you, he's not dishonest. He's not trying to steal the treasure. If he was going to steal the treasure, he wouldn't have reburied it and then bought the field. He just would have taken it. Like he found the treasure. He would have just walked off with it if he was being dishonest. And on the other side, the guy who's selling the field never would have sold the field to the guy if he knew treasure was in it. If he did sell it, he would have taken the treasure out first. So it wasn't that the guy who owned the field, that was his treasure and this dude's stealing it. There was something else at play. So a little history lesson for you, you may not know. Uh, if in those days, if there was an army that would attack, the number one thing people would do, Jewish men would do, is they would take their treasure and they would put it in a clay jar. You gotta remember, they didn't have banks back then, they didn't have stock markets, you couldn't invest your wealth. All you could do was protect it. So they'd get a clay jar, they would put jewelry and gold or anything, any coins they had, they would seal it with wax, they would dig a hole, they would bury it, they would cover it back up, they would tell all their family members where it was, and they would do this when an invading army was coming. Because they knew that if they got conquered, those, those military men would ransack the home, and if their goods were there, that, that army would make off with their goods. And so they wanted to make sure that invading army did not get their wealth. And so they would bury it. What likely happened in this story is that an invading army came because Israel was kind of the crossroads between Egypt and Mesopotamia, so they were always being invaded by people. And so they would bury treasure all over the place. But they would not leave a map for it because if they left a map in their home, then the invading army would find the map and they would discover the treasure. What they would do is they would tell their loved ones where the treasure was. But let's just say this invading army comes in and they, they kill everybody or they exile everybody. Now all the people who know where the treasure is, they're gone. They're dead. 
<clears throat> it's unclaimed treasure. So somebody else later on buys that field, but they don't know there's treasure buried in that field. So though they own the land, it's not really their treasure. It's unclaimed treasure. That's most likely what's going on here. Now, every once in a while when they were buried and heavy rains would come, it would begin to surface up a little bit. So there's some dude just traveling through, and he, he maybe just tripped on a little piece of clay that was up against, above the ground. He digs around it and discovers that there's treasure there. And he knows that this guy is not his treasure because he wouldn't have left it buried. There's no invading army coming now. It's not his. So he knows the only way he can claim that treasure is to buy the field. Otherwise, he would be a thief, and he doesn't want to be a thief. That's why he didn't walk off with it. So there comes a moment, it says, that he goes, he sells everything that he has, all his meager possessions, and it says he does it with joy because he knows he's about to hit pay dirt. He's a treasure hunter, and he has just found pirate's gold, and he is tickled to death to go do it. And there was a moment he had to go to the city gate, and this is how you would make a transaction back then. You would call the elders of the city together, and you would, in front of them, you would pay the money for the land. That land would be passed over on a scroll. You would sign your name in front of witnesses, and immediately the land became yours. And when the land was his, that's when he could take out the treasure and claim it for himself. And he does it, sells every last penny because he wants to have the greater treasure. So that's story number one. Then after story number one, Jesus tells a second parable that sounds almost identical. But actually, it's the difference between these two parables that Jesus is emphasizing. So go back to the pearl merchant. Let's read those two verses again. Verses 45 to 46 say this. <clears throat> again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, let me tell you about this second guy. The, the same general idea, he, he finds something of great value, sells all that he has so that he can get it. But I want you to notice the differences. Two major differences. The first one is how they came upon the treasure. So the first guy who found the buried treasure, it says he stumbled upon it. He just haphazardly found it in the field. But the pearl merchant, it says, was searching for fine pearls. He was on the, the hunt for something of great value. And I believe what Jesus is doing, he's contrasting two different kinds of people. Two different kinds of people that are in this room right now who are watching online right now. There are some of you who are here, and you came here because somebody dragged you here. You, you came here because grandma said, I want you coming to church with me. Mom and dad said, well, if you want to go out for pizza afterward, you got to come to church with me. A friend has been hounding you to come to church, and you're just tired of them nagging you over and over and over again, so you decided to come here to church. You're, you're watching online right now because you were just curious what a bunch of crazy people do when they gather together for church, so you thought you'd watch it. You came here with very low expectations, waiting to find a bunch of weird people, and yet what you found is the presence of Almighty God. That's you stumbling upon treasure. Maybe you came with really low expectations, and all of a sudden you realize that God is real, and these people are genuine, and they found something that matters, and all of a sudden you're curious about this God. You stumbled upon treasure. Whether you wanted to be here or not, whether you wanted to be watching or listening or not. And here's what I want to say to you. This story is teaching that when you stumble upon treasure, you give up everything to have that treasure. You don't stumble upon treasure and just leave it behind and keep on going with your life. You do everything you can to have that treasure because it's absolutely worth it. If that's you and you're here today, I'm going to tell you at the end of the service what you need to do. You just get ready to do whatever you have to do to find that treasure and claim it. 
But there's also a whole bunch of you, and you fall in the category. In fact, the majority of you fall into the second category. You're the pearl merchant. You're the one who was searching for something of great value. The reason you're here at church, the reason you're watching online, is because you believe that there is something of great value in God. Maybe, maybe you're a believer and you just want more of God because you know in God, that's what will satisfy. You're hunting for treasure because you know ultimately he's the pearl. Or, or maybe you're just curious and you're seeking after God, but you know you've just got a hunch that in God, that's where you're going to find things that have value. Listen, if that's you, there's a second thing that you have to do. It's different. There's a nuance between the two. It was what the pearl merchant had to give away in order to have the pearl. There's an oddity to the story, if you stop and think about it, because he's a pearl merchant, which means that at any given time, he's got a little bag, he keeps very close to his person, and it's filled with pearls. Now, he's, he's purchased these pearls because this is his job. Let me tell you what a pearl merchant did. They would walk along the coastlines every day, and they would meet up with divers. Now, the divers were usually uneducated, poor people that would just go every day. They would dive in the ocean, and they would find pearls, and they would come out, and they would sell it to merchants. And they didn't know how much these pearls were worth. And they didn't know how to set them in jewelry, so they would sell them at a lower cost. And that merchant would buy that pearl off the diver. He would buy it for maybe $5. He would go and he would clean it off. He would set it in a necklace. He would bore a hole in it to put it on a, a bracelet. And then he would go turn around and sell it for $20. And he'd make a 300% profit. And that's how the merchant survived. Now, it's, it's weird because it, it said he went and sold all that he had, which means his little bag of pearls, he had to sell all those pearls to get a pearl. And it almost doesn't make sense. Like, why would he, he already had pearls. Why would he sell his pearls just to get another pearl? And what's he going to do, just look at the pearl? Like, why, why do this? But there's a principle in, in the, the realm of jewelry that anybody who's a jeweler knows, and it's that the quality of the jewel returns exponentially in profit. So if you have a $5 pearl and you turn around and sell it for $20, if you get a $50 pearl that you buy, you might be able to sell, turn around and sell it for $300 and make an even greater profit. This is what's going on. He finds the pearl of the most supreme value he's ever seen before. It's a pearl that's so big, so exquisite, he's got to pay $50,000 to the diver to get it. But he knows when he cleans it up, and he sets it into a crown that there's a queen somewhere who's going to pay a million dollars to have that pearl, and he'll be set for life. It's the whole reason he's willing to sell these lesser things is because he knows this pearl has so much value, it is worth exponentially more than those little pearls in his bag. But he had to give up pearls in order to get a pearl. Let me tell you what that means. There are times God calls us to give up treasure in order to get treasure. To give up things that bring us value to get something that brings us exponentially more value. And this is where the majority of you in this room find yourselves. I, I believe there are many of you in this room and you have pearls and they bring you value. And the Lord is saying, I want you to be willing to give up those pearls because I got something even more I want to give you. There are things, I'm going back to what I said at the beginning, that, that you seek in life, treasure that you seek. And there are aspects of this world that give you, give you glimpses of them. There are some of you, and you've been successful in work, and you love the way that makes you feel. You feel respected when you walk into the workplace. You enjoy the privileges that come with a position, or you enjoy the finances that come with what you do and the things that you're able to buy. It's a pearl. It brings you some delight. 
there are some of you, you love certain foods. You're going to go and you're going to have, it's going to be me, by the way, some pizza and it's going to be delicious and you're going to love it. It's a little pearl, a little bit of delight that you're going to have that's going to be significant to you. There are some of you and you have a relationship. You just love spending time with this person. You all like the same hobbies. You all just hang out a lot together. Just a really good friend and they bring delight to you. It's a pearl. There are certain things that you do in life that you just really enjoy. Some of you is family. You, you love spending time with your family. You love being together with kids and grandkids. And it's, these are pearls that God has given you that bring you delight. But let me tell you what Jesus is teaching us in this story. There are times you have to give up pearls in order to get a much greater pearl. In fact, what I want to tell you is that until you're willing to give up every single one of the pearls in your bag, you cannot have the pearl of great value. Jesus is an all or nothing kind of leader, savior. He does not let us dip our toes into Christianity and say, well, I'll give you the majority of my bag. But there's these couple of pearls that I really cherish. It doesn't work that way. If that pearl merchant had found that pearl and it cost $50,000 to buy, but in his bag, he had to sell every last pearl, but there were two pearls he just really loved. They were, they were super significant. He could maybe get five to $10,000 if he kept those two pearls. That was, a, that was a lot of money for this guy. That could be a, a whole year of wages for him. And so maybe he sells all of them but those two. Well, here's the problem. When he goes to buy the pearl from the diver, he's only got 45000 He didn't have fifty. And because he's clinging on to those two pearls, he doesn't get the pearl of great value. This is what Jesus is teaching here. You have to give up everything for the sake of the pearl of great value. And what are you saying, Jason? I mean, are you saying like, I've got to give up my own family? That doesn't sound right to me. Well, let me go ahead and read another verse just before you conclude that. It's a very troubling verse, if I'm being honest with you. It's in chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus himself says this. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's another version in one of the other Gospels that says, whoever does not hate father and mother, brother and sister, son or daughter, even their own life, is not worthy to be my disciple. Jesus does not mince words. He makes it very plain and simple. You give up everything to have me or you don't have me. Now, I want to be real clear here because people can contort what I'm saying. Please don't contort this. I'm not saying you got to abandon your wife and kids, your husband and kids. Well, Jason told me I got to give up everything. Sorry, kid. Boot out the door. You may want to, but you don't get to. It's not what I'm saying. He's not saying I want you to literally hate them. He's a God of love. What he's saying is that your love for me should be so profound that in comparison, it looks like hate. He's saying you should treasure me so deeply that everything else is microscopic into how you treasure me. I am your greatest treasure or I'm not your treasure at all. That's what he's saying. And let me go ahead and get real honest with you. This preacher up here struggles because I treasure some things more than I treasure Christ. And I'm preaching to a room filled with people who struggle with this because we, we treasure things other than Christ. And until we give up every single pearl, until we're willing to do so, we will never discover the beauty and the power and the blessing of a Savior who's worth it. Jesus is worth giving up every last pearl for. 
There is no person, there is no thing, there is no object that has died on a cross for you other than Jesus Christ. There is no person who went into a grave for three days for you other than Jesus Christ. While you were spit in his face, while you were yelling crucify him with your actions, while you were turned your back to him, no one else has done that for you but Jesus Christ. And no one else rose on the third day out of love for you so you too could be raised up from the dead other than Jesus Christ. No one deserves to be treasured more than Jesus Christ. But there are things that we treasure more than him. And you're going, Jason, how do I know? How do I know what I treasure more than Christ? Very simple question you got to ask yourself and you'll get the answer. Here's what it is. Are there any areas in my life where it feels like God's meddling in my business? Because whatever that area is, that's an area you treasure more than Christ. There are some of you right now in this room, and you've been planning a vacation. You're so excited about this vacation, and all of a sudden, you feel like God telling you you're supposed to go on a mission trip, and you don't like that. And you're going, God, why are you meddling in my business? I planned this, mission, this vacation for a while. God, why are you trying to meddle? Why are you trying to get up in my vacation? If that ever happens to you, that's a clear sign you're treasuring something else more than Christ. There are some of you, you have worked your tail off over the last few years to get financial security. You've been watching all of Dave Ramsey's stuff. You've been envelopes all over the place because you want to make sure you, you have a savings account big enough if a crisis comes and you finally made it. You're debt free. You're so excited. You got a savings account and God says, I want you to give it all away. And immediately going, why are you meddling, Lord? I spent years getting here. Why are you meddling? If you ever feel like God's meddling, you can rest assured in that moment, you found something you treasure more than Christ. There are some of you in this room, I know it. You have finally gotten to that stage of life where you're no longer, you're no longer changing diapers. You don't have to hover like a hawk over all the kids. You finally got a little bit of calm in your life, and you're so grateful for that little bit of calm. And then you hear somebody talking about adoption and foster care, and you feel a little, little jump in your spirit like the Lord is telling you, you're supposed to bring a child into your home. And immediately going, don't you get meddling all up in my family, God. I spent decades getting to this place. And now you want me to foster parent? You want me to adopt the child, God? Don't you go meddling. It may just be that that peace in your home has become a treasure you value more than Christ. Any place that you feel like God is meddling in your business, any place where you don't want God to come in, that's a place you have, some, you have a treasure that you're treasuring more than Christ Jesus. And he's saying today, stop hunting for those treasures that cannot satisfy you, that cannot serve you. There's only one treasure that can, and it's Jesus Christ. And he's worth you digging and digging and digging for, giving up everything for. And that's what I want to let you do today. We're, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. The song is called I Surrender All. Many of you know the song. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I want to make sure, though, before you sing that song, that I don't make a bunch of liars out of you guys. I surrender all. There are some of you, who I'm going to be honest, you shouldn't sing this song because you're not ready to surrender all. But instead of singing a lie, I, I want you to ask yourself, why do I struggle? Why am I not willing to give all to him? I think you'll discover there's some things you treasure, and it's time to stop settling for a lesser treasure to have the greater treasure, to be willing to give up everything for it.
And you may need to in a moment before you sing the song, come bow down to these steps. Let it be an altar where you bow down and say, oh God, I've treasured this above you. I've been frustrated that you've been calling me to give this up or to do this thing that I don't want to do, to go to this place I don't want to go, God. And I've been frustrated and I'm sorry. I've been treasuring this more than you and I release it to you. Maybe you need to do that before you dare sing, I surrender all to the Lord. Maybe you just need to bow down in your chair and say, God, what is it? Why am I treasuring these things more than you? What's wrong with my heart? Then maybe you just stand up and by faith declare, I surrender all to him. But you, I want you to be willing to do so in a moment. But I also know there are some of you. And the thing you most need to do is surrender your, your need, the thing that's overwhelming you to the Lord in prayer. Every week we have prayer team members. And every week there are people in this room who need prayer who refuse to come down. And the reason they refuse to come down is because they just don't want to burden somebody else. No, my problem, it doesn't really, somebody else's problem is bigger. Or maybe it's, I don't know if that's going to make any difference. Well, today's the day you say, I'm not going to hold this back any longer. I can't handle it. I'm not going to try to control it. I'm not trying to solve it. I'm going to surrender it to the Lord. When you come down for prayer, you are saying, this need I have, this financial struggle, this relationship struggle, this work issue, my friend who's hurting, my spouse who I'm, who I'm distanced from, whatever it may be, I surrender this issue to you, Lord. You handle it. I can't. That's what prayer is. And you may need somebody to pray over you this morning. Before you sing, I surrender all, you come and you surrender that, that issue, that need, that situation to the Lord in prayer. But before we do that, the one last thing I want to say. There are some of you in this room, I know it. The thing you need to surrender to the Lord when you say, I surrender all, is your very soul to him. There's a moment you have to say, I'm broken, I'm desperate, I'm overwhelmed, I'm a sinner, and God, I can't save myself. And if you want me to bow down before you, if you want me to confess my sins to you, God, and ask you to forgive them, I'll do it, God. If you want all of me, you can have all of me. I give myself to you, God. I just need you, God. And there are some of you here today who are finally desperate enough to surrender everything to him, and you can have him today, and you can have treasure. But I want to say one last thing. There's a way to access that treasure. There comes a moment you have to publicly sign your name over to Christ, and you got to do it in front of witnesses. I don't know if you notice in the story, but both times there was a step they had to take in both stories in order to access the treasure. The, the pearl merchant, when he wanted to have that pearl, he couldn't go off and sell it for a million dollars until he took a step. He had to go grab some witnesses because of the value of that pearl. He had to pay the money over to the diver, and then the pearl would be handed over along with a, a scroll. He would have to sign his name to it in front of the witnesses, and then the pearl would be his. Then he could go enjoy the fortune that that pearl brought him. The guy who stumbled over treasure, it didn't matter that he knew there was treasure in the ground. He couldn't access it. He couldn't, he couldn't feel the blessings of that treasure until he went to the city gate. He called the elders. He paid the money. He signed his name to the document in front of witnesses, and then he could access the treasure. There is a moment where it is not enough that you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. There is a moment you have to publicly sign your name over to Christ Jesus. And we don't do it on a scroll. We do it in a baptistry. This is why we have a baptistry up here on the stage. It's because this is supposed to be the sign and symbol that we come up and we go in this water and you go under the water and you are dead and you are buried. The old you gone. You are signing your name over to Jesus Christ. And when you come out of that water, you belong to Jesus. He owns you. And you do it in front of these witnesses. And it's in that step that you begin to discover the blessings of the treasure of Christ Jesus. 
Now, I want to be really clear here. Those waters will not save you. The act of baptism does not save you. It is only faith in Jesus Christ that can save you. You must turn away from your sins when you admit that you're a sinner. You must ask him to forgive you. You must give your life to him. That's what saves you. But you can be saved. You can make it all the way into heaven and miss all the blessings of God in this life if you don't obey him. The first step of obedience when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ is to sign your name over publicly through baptism, to tell the world you belong to him. That's how you access the blessings of Jesus Christ. He set it up that the blessings of God come when you obey him. And there are some of you who have not obeyed him yet. You claim him, you love him, but you haven't obeyed him yet in baptism. It's time to sign your name over to Jesus. It's time to claim the treasure and experience the blessings and the power of Almighty God. That can happen today, but you gotta choose. So I wanna invite you all to stand up right now, if you will. I wanna invite the prayer team members to come spread around the front. Listen, you've got time. There's nowhere else you gotta be than responding to the Lord right here, right now. I'm gonna remind you of the three things you may need to do before you sing this song, I Surrender All. You may need to come bow down on these steps or you may need to bow down in the seat where you are and say, God, I've, I've been frustrated. I feel like you've been meddling in my business, God, and I, I realize now I'm treasuring some things more than you. You may, you may be watching online. You may need to get on your face online right now in your home, in your living room and say, God, forgive me. And you need to say, Lord, I choose to treasure you more than anything else. Do that before you sing, I surrender all. Or maybe you need to surrender a situation to the Lord and you're gonna come down front and say, pray for me. Maybe you just submit a prayer request online right now. Zer will pray for you. Help, whatever you need to do, you just say right now, God, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm not going to try to solve it anymore. I'm, I'm going to unburden myself by, by surrendering this situation over to you, Lord, in prayer. You do it. But most importantly, if you're ready to surrender all to Christ, to claim the treasure of Christ upon you, a changed life and a hope and blessing for the future, then you have a decision to make. You come let us know that you're ready. You're ready to take that step of faith. You're ready to stir the waters. You're ready to sign your name over to Christ Jesus to experience his blessings. Today can be that day. I invite you today to respond as you need to. Now's the time.